Good morning. I'm Donna Quinn. And for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today in the studio, I have Josh Marquis. Many people know Josh. He is the former Clatsop County District Attorney, one month short of a 25-year career. And now he is the Director of Legal Affairs for Animal Wellness Action, which is a nationally based in Washington, D.C. nonprofit advocacy organization. Today, Josh is going to talk to us a little bit about the Wellness Action, the Animal Wellness Action Organization, and why he chose to do this in his um, kind of retirement. We'll see. Kind of sort of retirement. Hi, Josh. Glad to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, there may be a few people who aren't familiar with you or your career here, so I would appreciate it if you would let the listening audience know a bit about Josh Marquis. I don't even know really where you were born. Well, I was born in Los Angeles. My father was a university professor. My mother is an artist, a stained glass artist. Still not very active, but she's very well at 96. Um, I grew up in, in high school in California, and I moved to go to the University of Oregon and stayed on to go to law school at the University of Oregon. And while I was a, a, a college journalist, I became very interested in the district attorney's office in Eugene. So I started working there. I worked in the DA's office in Eugene for 11 years in every capacity, from public information officer to eventually deputy DA. And then eventually I went on to be um, a deputy DA in Newport, Oregon, then chief deputy DA in Newport, then two miserable years in private criminal practice, uh, representing people accused of animal abuse and murder. Didn't like that. Became the chief deputy DA in um, Bend for four years. And then in uh, February of 1994, Governor Barbara Roberts appointed me to the post of district attorney of Clatsop County. Uh, a job for which I had to run for in a contested election 60 days after moving to town where nobody knew my name. Um, and I was elected and when was subsequently reelected six times and chose to retire uh, on New Year's Eve um, of last year. All right. And yet you and your wife, Cindy Price, who's been very active also in uh, community uh, things here in Clatsop County. Um, but you said, you know, I need to do something with my time now. I have this time and you have a passion for animals. I do. Um, I The idea of retiring or not doing anything at just age 66 kind of horrified me. My, my father continued to teach um, at age 70 and, and well up until almost until he was 80. And my mother continued as an artist well into her 80s. Um, you know, when you're in political office, you have an expiration date on you, which is the end of your term. Uh, but there are many other things, as we can tell from particularly the Astoria and Clatsop County community. You don't have to be in public office to make a difference. Right. Um, so when um, I read in the newspaper that you were doing this, and um, I thought about, okay, so the prevention of cruelty to animals, when most people think about that, you know, they think about the American Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about the major organizations which um, are working on this issue, and then what your uh, particular new organization is doing. Um, I also want to start out with a famous quote, which is often attributed to Gandhi, which is, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. So, 
there are these organizations working on the prevention of cruelty in animals. Can we talk a little bit about what those are? Sure. Historically, there, starting in about 1820, there was the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and Children, um, which then morphed into the American, uh, I think it's the oldest one, ASPCA, which is still very much in existence. And their ads are frequently on late night television asking you to just send $19 and you can get a, you know, a personalized tag from Fido or Fluffy. Um, then there's the Humane Society of the United States, a very large organization with chapters, not to be mistaken for the local Humane Society or Humane Society of Oregon, different group. Then you have specialized organizations like Greenpeace uh, and PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, tend to be more uh, spirited, shall we say, and, and generally also um, believe, for example, in, in vegan behavior and believe that uh, if you really love animals, then you don't wear wool and you don't eat meat. I, I don't particularly share that, but there, there, the point is there's a wide variety of groups. There's Greenpeace, which many people who live on the coast are familiar with for its advocacy for whales and other endangered creatures. And then there's an organization called the Animal Legal Defense Fund, uh, which I was on their board for about 12 years. They're based in Portland and right outside San Francisco. So there are, and then almost everybody in the United States, certainly everybody within the sound of this radio voice, knows of a local humane society or animal shelter or advocacy group, often locally based, whose job it is to rescue abandoned animals and or animals that are, have been uh, through inaction or worse yet, cruelty subjected to deprivation of shelter, food or basic medical care. Right. And um, you ha and, and obviously this is it's, it's so sad that we need this, but we live in a culture where, unfortunately, the um, I, the Judeo-Christian canon has been that, you know, man is supreme and that, you know, animals are, are you know, we use them um, in ways that maybe aren't always um not only um, healthy or or civil or kind, and I mean, and that doesn't mean that you have to be a vegetarian because there are you know you can buy meat at the co-op that's you know humanely raised. And you know, in in the New Testament, Jesus is very clear that you know you treat animals with respect and and should expect the same kind of treatment back that you give the least of the of my creatures. I think is the way he says it. Yeah, exactly. And then of course, in Buddhist and other cultures, they're more holistic and believe that you know we're all part of the one and depending on how you live this life you might come back as right. a, you know squirrel next time right exactly and uh, and i think there's a, there's now there so we we talked about this a little bit uh, before about the fact that you know research and um, and life experience shows that um, animal abuse and human suffering are bound together and that they're they're you know it's a it's a real challenge um, when you know young people are unfortunately being cruel to animals because that can lead to criminal behavior later well, there's as a as a prosecutor for almost forty years. What what drew me in originally um, were frankly fairly mundane cruelty cases: people beating their dogs, people um, you know not providing basic, very basic care. But what is really spooky, as I went to the other end of criminal behavior, is a, a, a triad of behaviors identified by the FBI's behavioral lab, which is enuresis, which is bedwetting into teenage years combined with um, fire setting, pyromania, and allurophobia. Most people don't usually know what allurophobia is. Allurophobia is a morbid fear or hatred of cats. 
And when you see those three pathologies together, you have the recipe, unfortunately, for sociopathic, particularly violent behavior towards women. Virtually every serial killer the FBI has profiled hmm. has had those characteristics. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who wets mm -hmm. their bed goes on to kill people. Mm -hmm. It just means that there is a spooky correlation between these particular symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, and again, someone who shows enormous contempt for life um, in, in some forms is likely to show contempt for life in other forms. Right, exactly. And you, this became something um, very personal to you because you had a couple of cases. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, one of the cases I probably got more attention for, although, uh, I don't know if you, you read uh, Susan Orlean, who, who wrote The Orchid Thief and is a very entertaining writer, writes for The New Yorker as other places. And she did a story a couple of years ago in which uh, she referred to me as the, the, the prosecutor in Oregon who's most famous for prosecuting the man who stole the lobster. And very briefly, that's a seaside-based story. Um, a habitual criminal basically um, grabs Victor the lobster. Lobsters, it turns out, just keep growing and growing until they get older and older and tougher and tougher and nobody wants to eat them. It was donated to the Seaside Aquarium and was living there in peace when this jerk steals him thinking he's going to eat him gets chased down by the manager, throws Victor, who has a name, to the, to the uh, pavement where Victor's carpus or shell breaks. Well, try to find a lobster veterinarian. I did. Uh, they don't exist, at least not certainly in the phone book or anywhere that the vet school in Portland knew. So Victor died. Victor is enshrined on a plaque down there. What was interesting is the guy who, who stole Victor turned out to have a very violent past. And I got him, I think, three months in jail, which ain't much. But what was interesting and sad is about five years later, I get a call. He has been involved in a shooting of a police dog. And ultimately, he's, he's currently in the Oregon State Penitentiary for uh, an armed attack on a biracial couple in downtown Portland. Mm. So, you know, that's sort of the range of, of behaviors from, you know, abusing a lobster to trying to kill people. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so there are laws, though, right? Absolutely. Um, when I became a, a lawyer in 1981, there was only one law called cruelty to animals. It was pretty vague. It just said, a person shall not be cruel to animals. It didn't really say under what circumstances, and it gave tremendous latitude for people who owned animals. So um, there are some people who say, well, I just, the only thing my dog understands is a good beating. And frankly, we couldn't do very much about the person who you walk by their house and the dog is crying because the guy's beating it with, say, a newspaper. Uh, in the late 80s, we started to get more laws. So we now have animal abuse in the first degree, animal abuse in the second degree, animal neglect in the first degree, second degree. One of the cases for which I will be ever known is that of Vicki Kittles. Vicki Kittles was a woman who was a animal hoarder, another pathology. Animal hoarders are people who, for whatever reason, believe they need to collect large numbers, usually of companion animals, dogs or cats, in her case, dogs. And so she went around the United States liberating or offering to rescue dogs from, quote, no-kill shelters, well-meaning people that weren't really looking farther than her school bus. 
She ended up in 1994 here in Clatsop County, Oregon, with 115 dogs, four cats, and two roosters on a school bus out in Napa. And one of the dogs was uh, having something called status epilepticus. You know, you'll learn the most interesting things in this job. That is a form of epilepsy that basically is nonstop. Um, it, it, it's usually fatal, and it drew a lot of attention. Um, that case took three years to prosecute. I was, I think, the fifth prosecutor on the case. There, She went through seven court-appointed lawyers. The trial itself was three months. Eventually, she went to jail. And, but she's an example of somebody who just sucked in these incredible amount of resources because people just didn't want to say no to her. And it's really a credit to Tommy Brunick, who was then the head of the animal shelter here in Astoria, and a bunch of volunteers here in the, in the KMUN community who stepped forward and said, I'll foster one of these dogs. Part of the problem was that the dogs were evidence, so they couldn't be disposed of. You know, most of them actually were healthy once they got fed and got decent treatment. Um, but a lot of law enforcement shy from these cases. They see them as just a giant mess they don't want to get involved in. Mm. Well, um, we're going to talk more now about the organization that you're with, that you're the Director of Legal Affairs for the Animal Wellness Action in just a minute. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns. I'm your host, Donna Quinn. Today, I have Josh Marquis in the studio. Josh is the former Clatsop County District Attorney. He was for one month shy of 25 years. He's now the director of legal affairs for Animal Wellness Action, which is a nonprofit organization uh, based in Washington, D.C. Um, let's talk about Animal Wellness Action. What will you be doing with them and for them? Well, my job is to, it's a new organization, so we're going to start creating relationships, in my case, particularly with people like the job I used to do prosecutors, police chiefs. Um, sheriffs. And the reason for that is, as um, Tip O'Neill used to say, all politics is local. Um, laws are made federally. He was the Speaker of the House. Uh, but really where the rubber meets the road is at the local level. So you can... Animal Wellness Action has been behind passing some of the most revolutionary um, animal wellness acts federal anti-cruelty legislation that goes into effect this December. But it's dependent on the enforcement, like anything else. Sort of, I mean, the best analogy would be people complain about traffic and say, no, you know, everybody's speeding. I know in, here in Astoria, right in front of the radio station, people complain that people speed too much. Well, the answer to that is, in, well, besides people obeying the law, is also whether the police department enforces and whether the courts do something about it. So... Animal Wellness Action is, in, is, in, is a new organization, which is an ambitious project because there are, as I stated at the beginning, a number of, you know, very vital organizations, um, most of which are not specifically focused on, on working in D.C. Most of them, you know, are run by very well-meaning people, in many cases very sophisticated, but often... Uh, the way they reach out to people, you've seen their ads late night on television, is, you know, we'll help you run shelters, we'll rescue dogs and cats. Well, Animal Wellness Action is not going to rescue any dogs and cats directly. We're going to try to create a legal environment. Maybe one of the best ways to explain it is if for those people that are older than 25 or 30, you can remember a time in your youth when things like 
um, slapping the wife across the room or driving drunk were both considered fodder for late night comics. And um, in one case, Jackie Gleason used to have this whole shtick about, you know, to the moon, Alice. And basically he was talking about slugging his wife, which would not be considered funny today. Um, by the same token, there was a comedian named Foster Brooks. Uh, you, you may, younger people won't remember him, but he was very popular on the Johnny Carson show from probably 1959 to 1986. And his shtick was, uh, you know, the trees followed me down the road. I was so drunk. Drunk driving is not funny in America anymore. Wife beating is not acceptable in America anymore. And there is an evolution, I think, of a civilized society that takes these pieces by pieces. Now, that does not mean that we are necessarily elevating the level of a, of a songbird to the same as your infant. But there is a reverence for life, I think, that's important. And again, that doesn't mean treating, uh, you know, the, the songbirds the same as you would, you know, your own children. But it does mean a respect for life and, and, and what that entails. Well, what is, is there any challenge with this definition of what is cruelty? I mean, because, um, again, if people have, you know, respect for, for life and respect for, um, for animals, then... Um, I mean, we have to change the culture, it kind of feels like. We do. I mean, you know, I mean, to let our young people know what's acceptable and what's not. So well, some of that is very, I mean, example, it's relatively easy to adopt a cat or dog. It used to be easier. Some people complain, wow, you know, when I went down to the Humane Society or Animal Shelter, wherever, you know, they, they, you know, they wanted my driver's license and they wanted to know about me. Yeah, probably. Because there certainly was a time very recently, probably just 10 years ago, when there were so many animals that needed homes that basically the authorities were willing to give anybody who was willing to show a modicum of care. I think there's now a realization that you're, you're going to assume responsibility for a life, not a human life, admittedly. But that means can you provide shelter? Can you provide uh, veterinary care? Can you do these things? Because if you can't, you're really not responsible. I'll give you a really vivid example of this. When I, I was 42 or 43 years old when I became the district attorney in this county. I didn't adopt cats until I was elected in May of that year because I didn't feel like I was responsible enough, even though I'd been chief deputy DA. I, I had, you know, lived some places for years. I wasn't solid enough. I wasn't complete enough. Now, that was my own standard, but we would like people to take it that seriously. Well, you said that this is a nonpartisan issue, that really Republicans Absolutely. and Democrats, I mean, I mean, really, other than a psychopath, who would say cruelty in animals is okay? No, no. The, what you're going to get is not that. I mean, what you're going to get are people that say, particularly in a resource-based economy, which we are, is, oh, this is, you know, you're, to me, saying something like, you're overblowing this, you know, animals are just tools, no different than a shovel, you're over-sentimentalizing them, and, oh, you know, of course you shouldn't, you know, torture a cat to death, but, you know, a cat is, you know, you know, doesn't care about you anyway, it's just a means for getting food or protecting the family, It, and, you know, that, you know, can make a lot of sense to people, people saying, Part of the problem is if some, in my view at least, equivalating um, animals to humans and saying, well, you know, if you treat a cat badly, that's no different than if you treat a child differently. I do think it is different. On the other hand, 
the more evolved and the more sophisticated a society is, the more you appreciate life. Now, part of appreciating life when you get older is also realizing that life comes to an end. So um, it, it's appreciating the quality of life. So you're, so basically your organization is hoping to, um, you know, uh, facilitate legislative action really toughening the laws for cruelty? Because, I mean, you have to start somewhere. Yes, we have to change the culture. We have to change the way that um, people view animals. However, we also um, have to have laws. We have to, you know, and so this organization is going to advocate for laws to make the penalties much, much stronger. Well, the the laws and also the and the enforcement of it. I mean, many of these laws exist on paper already, Donna. There there are laws in Oregon that say what you would think they would say that it is it is a serious crime to torture a cat to death, for mm-hmm. example. Most people are shocked, however, when they find out that the maximum sentence, let's say somebody with two prior rape convictions and a conviction for vehicular manslaughter, and he, and unfortunately this is not a, a hypothetical, takes a kitten and throws it into a bonfire. Now, what do you think ought to happen to that person? What penalty other than, you know, torturing them? Seriously, I mean, uh, most be, the law in Oregon is that that person could be sentenced by a judge for up to five years in prison. In real life in Oregon now, that person could do no more than 30 to 60 days in jail, if that. Hmm. Wow. So you, there, so really there's a challenge here with preventing cruelty in animals. It's one is we got to change the culture, which I'm sure in schools now, obviously. I mean, I, as you say, we are evolving, hopefully, as a people. Um, and things that were acceptable, you know, years ago are not now. And so it's education. And then it's legislation and enforcement. It is, and, and, and it's changing everyone's attitude. You don't want kids just to, to nod and say, oh, yeah, right, that's what I'm supposed to say. Um, it's sort of like one of the criticisms of the Pledge of Allegiance is it's, for most kids, a meaningless act, not really connected with genuine love or country or an appreciation or understanding for what they're doing. You, you want the same thing in terms of respecting animals. You don't want someone to say, oh, yes, yes, we cherish all life. You want people to walk the walk. And... But this extends to governments, too. What do, what, what do local governments do? For example, let's say you have a, a, a development and it displaces a bunch of feral cats. You know, what's the answer? Is the answer just mm-hmm. to, you know, go out with a, with, with, you know, a machine gun or a, or, a, or a pest control and wipe them all out? I don't think so. Um, it's probably also not to adopt them and put them each in a hotel room, but there is a there there are reasonable rational responses that are also fiscally responsible that I think a community wants to be known by being a humane, decent, thoughtful place. Yes, indeed. Um, and um, before I I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about what people can do and and how they can get in touch with this organization. But one of the quotes that I love the most is. Um, was written in 1928 by writer-naturalist Henry Beston. So he wrote in The Outermost House, We need another and a wiser and perhaps a more mystical concept of animals, remote from universal nature and living by complicated artifice. Man in civilization surveys the creature through the glass of his knowledge and sees thereby a feather magnified and the whole image in distortion. 
we patronize them for their incompleteness, for their tragic fate of having taken form so far below ourselves. And therein we err, and greatly err. For the animal shall not be measured by man. In a world older and more complete than ours, they move finished and complete, gifted with extensions of the senses we have lost or never attained, living by voices we shall never hear. They are not brethren, they are not underlings, they are other nations, caught with ourselves in the net of life and time, fellow prisoners of the splendor and travail of the earth. So I know that, um, again, teaching respect for for animals and looking at, you know, how we... um, um, how we can make a difference. We can talk to our legislators. I mean, wh- give us the website of this organization and tell us how we can help with preventing cruelty to animals and helping raise the consciousness on this. Well, as you said, Donna, all politics is local. I would encourage people to, um, when when bills come up, uh, to contact uh, Senator Betsy Johnson um, and their other legislators. Um, the, the, the law in front of the United States Senate, I'm pleased to say, had the support, it passed, of, of Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley and Suzanne Bonamici. So all of the people who represent this area of, of Oregon voted very much in favor of that. Um, but again, all politics is local. And so part of the question, when I, when I was district attorney, um, I, it was called into question, why was I wasting all this money on the Vicki Kittles case? Um, it cost a lot of money. I think I probably spent about $100,000 of the taxpayers' money out of a budget, not much more than a million dollars. And certainly an argument could be made, well, what are you doing wasting 10% of that particular year mm-hmm. on some crazy lady with a bunch of cats? Well, you know, stretched out, it wasn't as much. But People, one of the things that that I found very affirming personally and politically was that people in this community came forward when when the Kittles case happened. They showed up at the county commission meetings and they supported the, the resources that we put to the test. Now, that doesn't mean people weren't critical of it, but... You know, little things matter and little things turn into big things. Well, yeah, they do. And I mean, sometimes that can be the canary in the coal mine. I mean, really, again, you know, we, if, if we're mistreating animals, this is not a good if sign. A cor- for, yeah, yeah. It's, it's about coarseness of, of culture and, and, and mean-spiritedness. I mean, if you're in a community where it's commonplace to watching somebody, you know, uh, beat their dog or you you know see animals wandering around starving and and beaten I don't want to live in a community like that and I don't think most people do and I don't think we live in a place like that that's right no I think I agree with you and I think um, so let's give the website of the organization that you are now the uh, director of legal affairs so will you be flying back and forth to Washington DC do you think well most of the I will be going to Washington uh, a little bit but um, it's mostly done by you know <laughs> by phone and sure internet and email and, of course yeah and, that's uh, right that's and and, and other today. kinds of um, animal. There's actually several parts to animal uh, wellness. The the one that I'm most involved in is the animal uh, AWA um, dot. I'm trying to remember the 
the address right at the moment. It's not .com. It's um, .org. org. And then we have a sister organization, Animal Wellness Foundation, that people Mm -hmm. may be interested in as well. Mm -hmm. It's also important to explain that that a lot of this stuff is done in partnerships with with other organizations. Although people have favorite organizations and people may say, oh, I really like giving to the Humane Society. I'm not suggesting that you you stop giving to the Humane Society. Um, It's that you know, each group usually has sort of a niche that they can that they can address. And what we're trying to do is sort of look at the big picture of how can the law be made more effective to help these other groups and actually make these laws enforceable. Absolutely. It's all connected, Josh. Absolutely. Um, I am so grateful that you were able to come on the show this morning. Thanks and for any me. last thing you'd like to say to the listeners? No, just, you know, uh, adopt a pet. If you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, and, you're, if you're right for it, and 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 pay attention. You know, if you see something that doesn't look right, call call one of the organizations that is, or call law enforcement. That's right. Call law enforcement. Um, yeah, we need to take care of our animals, our community, each other. Take thank care you, of each other. Yes. yes. Thank you, Josh, so much for thank what you, you're doing. Um, so your new venture here, which um, is going to be helpful to to everyone ultimately. Because when we help animals, it helps everyone. Um, Thank you so much, Dylan, for being the engineer this morning. And my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. Until next week. Find a moment for yourself today. In fact, right now. Take a deep breath. It's so good for body, mind, and spirit. <laughs> and we um, we forget to breathe sometimes. We're all no so kidding. busy. And um, and then with gratitude, focus on the things that are going well in your life. There'll always be those things that aren't going well. But give yourself a loving and compassionate hug and a pat on the back for being uniquely you, the only one you really are, and for doing the best you can in this kind of crazy world we live in right now. And and then with gratitude, think about this present moment at, for being here now in this moment um, on this amazing planet we call Earth.